Good morning, everyone, and welcome back to the Explicit Measures Podcast with Tommy, Seth, and Mike. Hello, everybody. Twas the night before Christmas, four days before Christmas. And, and what we're doing through... is still talking about Power BI. <laughs> <laughs> or fabric. I mean, hey, fabric. the Whatever. conversations have exploded. <laughs> so many different directions all the time. So today's main topic here is there's an article from Microsoft that I'll put here in the chat window. Uh, this is a blog announcement from the Fabric blog talking about semantic link data validation using a, a feature from Python, which is called Great Expectations, which is a library that enables you to be able to uh, care about or, or look at the quality of the data in your tables that you have. So I'll put the article link here for later in the discussion that will be coming up shortly. So before we do that, let's do some news. Uh, some News happened this week, which we didn't talk on Tuesday about, but we're going to talk about it now. We have a release for Power BI Desktop. It was a little bit delayed. Uh, I believe it was published a little bit later than normal. Typically, I think the blog post was published on the 12th, and the desktop didn't actually get released till the 18th. So there's a little miscommunication there, or something broke at the last minute, and they're like, wait a minute, whoops. So um, they try to coordinate all this together. It must be difficult to coordinate all of this stuff at the same time and having everything published around the world at the same time because you don't want to have the desktop published before the blog is out and then no one knows what's going on and anyways let's talk about the new features that are coming no, out you, you you complain about our summary cycles if we complain about our, our deploying to one place can you imagine oh yeah can you imagine a release man. coming out of microsoft how many different touch points in different areas man Kudos all to the those guys. All the regions that the blog <laughs> yeah, we're not complaining. Update. Yeah. Like just, you, you've got to have your stuff in time to have this and this and this group pick it up yep, and then that, yep. and that group. And then like it gets, you know. The log of dependencies, I cannot fathom. Well, people are people are out. I mean, I know this now. Microsoft, like every other company, takes off around Thanksgiving and through December. So those are the months where people leave. They're out of the office. This means all the work needed or anything that was being worked on to get released for January doesn't get done. So that's this is why January doesn't have any releases, right. and there's not going to be a release for Power BI Desktop in January, and there won't be any releases until February. Never has been, never will be. Give so, a little break, you know. I'm okay well, with that. Take one, too. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. So what uh, what features stood out to you? Anything that stood out to you in this release? Um, I have one, but I'll let you guys go first. Tommy, what do you think? What's... what's uh, what is picking up on your radar here or something interesting to look at? Well, Mike, it's it's so easy. And I mean, they geared this exactly towards you. It's new uh, storytelling and PowerPoint suggested content. We know. Yeah. I think That's, even the blog says how much Mike Carlo, Mike yeah. Carlo loves suggested content. Uh, how much they yep. love PowerPoint. So yep. just kind of just. The new title should be, the title is storytelling in PowerPoint. For Mike Carlo, for suggested Mike Car content. Mike, Mike DiCarlo. All right. Yes. Data Mike. Suggested content by Mike Carlo. Don't put it in PowerPoint. Uh, so the gist of this is when you add Power BI and the add-in to the slide, it's actually going to scan the title of the slide, so the content outside of just the object of the Power BI widget, and say, hey, what are you trying to do here? Maybe there's a report here that's recommended. It's kind of neat. Uh, I, I'll, be, I'll admit I haven't played around too much with it. I'm still adding the link because I still have a very direct visual report that I'm using. But I think this is a 
good place this is going. And I continue to love to see the integration with PowerPoint, Power BI. Uh, we have, I don't remember which episode, but if you want to learn more, we actually did a whole episode, one of my favorite episodes to date, just around the PowerPoint feature um, or the Power BI feature within PowerPoint. So kudos. It's okay. <laughs> just okay. Seth, any uh, any features that stood out to you? That's it. <laughs> I mean, it's more of a quality of life one, uh, cleaning cleaning up certain certain aspects, like the the styling on col column and bar charts is you know like hey having more options to visually represent data. I'm always a big fan of that. Um, I didn't get to plug in at all and look at the alerting on Power BI reports of data activator. But it looks like they're plugging in some of the fabric components, which is cool. But hey, you know, if you're really talking about excitement, paginated, man. Paginated. Ability to search and sort in paginated reports. Dude, a little quality of life stuff like that goes a long way. So I think honestly, I'm gonna land there for 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 top top ads. I think paginated reports is an underrated feature in general. I think it's uh I think people are, I think people are building Power BI reports, but in reality, they actually want paginated reports. And I, actually, now that I'm looking at and working with the the new Explore Your Data feature, and you can now see that on top of your reports now, you can actually go right into Explore the Data. I I really like this ability to create these tables and figure it out from a table and see just just let me focus in on the, the data model and just a single table let me let me look there only yeah we need, or we need, off yeah. the data off the semantic model. off the semantic model yes. yeah we need so, to solve something right now to my left pa paginated to my right paginated which yep. one is it i just heard two different how do we Pag I, it's paginated paginated that says paginated which one's right this is vital. It's P Bix. Mike, Mike, <laughs> Mike, Mike originally is from not Midwest, right? So his his pronunciation oh, is slightly different. I don't know. Seth, I mean, okay, if well, you actually, wanted to, it, Tommy, it's interesting. Is it bag that, or bag? Bag. I mean, it's Pagel. interesting. You're you're leaning Paginated. into the proper enunciation of certain words here because if you want, if you want to go. Uh, we, we could lean. We could lean into. Uh oh, here. I think we might want to skip this conversation. <laughs> I, I, I think I know where Seth's going on this one. I'll meet you on like your. You roof. See that? You're seeing that already? I saw that one already. I saw that already. Let's talk about. All right, let's move on. Specific let's things move on here. <laughs> All right. Um, let's move on to. Um, so another one here that has been kind of a, a big mess, and I think it's getting a little bit better here is the on-object interactions has been really painful to work with. Just in general, I've turned it on. I've just, I've just figured this is the way we're going to be. But there is some new default setups for on-object interaction. And for the people who are classically trained in Power BI, they're letting you <laughs> leave, the filter, leave the panes open. And one thing that really annoyed me was there was a, I think there was a combination of a bug and or the functionality of them. Um, if you closed one of those windows the little icon on the far right hand side would just disappear because it was an X. It was just, it was an X to like remove the pane of the window. And, um, you know, everyone's going to turn on all the icons, 
And they're just going to use that icon list as just a menu. Like, yeah. that's just going to be what's happening. Well, you would click the X, it would just disappear, and you'd have to open up the menu, click the thing, put it back up. I mean, just the whole UI experience was like, this is totally wrong. I don't understand what's going on here. I, I want the pain, the pain to be open. I want it to go away when I want it to be open and closed. It's weird. Anyways, they fixed all that. So now you can shrink it as opposed to deleting the icon and moving, removing it from the list. And you can, by default, make sure those panes are always expanded. Because that's what I do every single time I yeah. work on a visual. Yeah. So like, right. I drop, even if I don't put any data in the visual, I'll put the visual down and then I go to the semantic model pane, data pane, I guess it's called data pane still. I don't even know what they keep renaming things every day. But then you look through there and find the columns you want. And then I take the columns that I need and then boom, the visual shows up. Like that's that's what you do. I don't understand why we had to make it so extra complicated to get visuals on the page. Yeah. I'll, I'll admit, Mike, to your point, there's been a lot of times I've been close to throwing my mouse across the room. I've lost so much real estate with yes. the, the, the visual, choosing the visuals larger, the space between visuals is larger. Yep. It's It's been frustrating. And I'm really, really um, happy to see that they are making updates based on feedback by the community here. Yes. And in, in the little, in the desktop, like when desktop runs up for the new version, you have, you know, there's a little menu that pops up and it says, I think the wording is good, but it, it could be better on the, on the menu that pops up. You have two options, keep the current setup the way it lives right now, or you can use more, use a more classic pane setup. And I would, I would argue it was keep the new stupid setup or use the correct version of how desktop should work. So I, why don't they ask you to write these things? Mike? I know. I, would, I know. It would be so much better on these dialogue boxes. Hey guys, yeah, guys, we're gonna build. We're gonna invest a lot of money in building this new thing. Let's call it the stupid setup. Like, <laughs> like we won't. We don't. We don't actually want anybody to use it. Mike, Mike, what do you think? I think we should call it the stupid Sell it. setup so nobody yeah. ever uses. No, it. No, it should be oh, power oh. stupid setup. It should have yeah. the word power in it, and it will say their name. No, it'll say, "Hey, dumb dumb." <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, uh, yes, I'm very happy that they're fixing this one. So it's definitely going the right direction. Microsoft has been listening to a lot of this one. I believe Adam Saxton and Guy in the Cube did a video on this one. And there was an overwhelming response from the community like, this is not helping. I can't get it. This is not working for me. It's all broken. And I remember, uh, I think and Adam actually responded in like a message, either in LinkedIn or, or Twitter, like, hey, we've heard your feedback. We know this is really a mess. We're going to really work hard to figure out how to fix. I'm like, okay, good. We're really focusing on listening to what people are saying about this feature. It's it's okay, but it could be a lot better. So I, I definitely feel like this is a move in the right direction. Now, I, one, I also ahead. think that it is a perfect example of why putting things out in preview first is a good idea. Very a good, good move, idea. A good move because it doesn't, so. it does, and it doesn't happen often where... Mm -hmm you get a preview feature and then there are really large changes to it. Mm -hmm. Like it typically goes in incremental steps and like, Oh, okay. Add this in here and whatnot. But um, yeah, I mean, just resoundingly, I, I, I don't know of anybody that was just instantly thrilled with on object. And I'm, I'm glad they took the feedback. They probably also took their metrics that uh, how many people were actually using it. Mm -hmm. Um, and the frustration and they're adapting it. And that's that's a good thing. And I'm glad that they're plugged into the community the way they are, like you're saying, because um, you know, ultimately it'll come out to be hopefully a, a much better experience. Yep. 
the other one I'll, I'll point out here that is interesting to me, I'm not sure where this fits in, uh, and this is more of a nuanced and developer side of things. Inside the developer area of the release, they're talking about there's a new API that allows custom visuals to obtain an Azure Active Directory access token through single sign-on. This is going to help you facilitate secure, efficient user contextual operations, and the API will be controlled by a global admin setting. What is it? Where is this one? What is this? I know, right? It's in the developer section, and yeah. it says it's the feature is a Power BI custom visuals custom authentication visual. API for custom visuals. I don't know if this is like a licensing mechanism that they're trying to apply here. Like, hey, you know, this visual is authorized to be used by these people. Therefore, we can authorize you inside a custom visual now. I, I don't know what this is really here for, but it seems interesting. And this is a very different. And for those who have built custom visuals, um, they are very sandboxed. You can't talk to anything. It, it's like if you want a certified visual, Microsoft really closes you down to a very tight controlled area. So this will be interesting to see what this means and how custom developers will use this to help build custom visuals. Well, that's interesting. Yeah, I, I haven't been keeping up with custom visuals, but that that would seem to imply a, a company Yes. UPN. Yes. Right. The user that's, principal name, like that's yes. an active actor, Azure Active Directory, mm -hmm. would be able to be linked to it in some way for mm -hmm. for an organization. Hmm. So I'm not sure what I, that means. That makes it makes a lot of sense because we yeah. know, you know, even with third party plugins and yeah. all these things, there are a lot of companies that have very hard restrictions around yes. what you can and can't upload or use. Yes. And that's like that that gets proliferated everywhere. In yes, RBI report one and two. Um, some of the licensing on the custom visuals is tied to how widespread you're using it, or how many users can actually use it. Exactly. I wonder if yep. they're. I wonder if they're going to plug that in there. Huh. Yeah, I think there's something else coming on. It, it, it looks like there's some <clears throat> development around that area. So that's also something very interesting. One thing I don't see on this list here that I'm I do think is very important to note here as well is. They didn't really notice in this list, and this is maybe in the Fabric blog, maybe that didn't come in the Power BI blog, but Power BI Desktop now gets a new M connector for Delta Lake dot table. That is a new connector that exists now. So uh, Power BI Desktop can now read Parquet files directly without the need of Spark or SQL Serverless. I've confirmed this. It's awesome. And I think that feature alone is a major game changer for this December update. What is it using then? Your local machine? It's using the so it. I have to explain this a couple of ways here. So when you talk to Delta Tables, you need some sort of compute to talk to it. Yeah. Traditionally, it has been Spark or SQL Serverless. Those are the only two that we were aware of. Yeah. Then Microsoft added the ability for data flows to read and write um, Delta Tables. So then Data Flows got this feature. Now what you're seeing is the Vertipec engine itself, the desktop Vertipec engine the compute that's on your desktop machine. It can now read and write or it can read, it doesn't write, it just reads mm. Delta tables. So to me, this is just adding one num another compute engine that Microsoft is building the feature into just read these Delta tables, which I think is huge. I think this is massive. Um, I've already connected it to things that I've used in Databricks and in Unity Catalog. When you make Delta tables in a blob storage account, you can connect anything you want. I don't require a SQL or Databricks endpoint to read the data. And... It appears based on Chris Webb's blog, this new function allows 
what they're going to call uh, partition pruning. So if you partition the data the same way you want to incrementally load it in your data models, you no longer need to go spend money on another compute engine just to read the data to load it into Power BI. You can just push Power BI at it. It will read the metadata files. It will then grab the only partitions it needs during incremental refresh. It, it basically uh, filtered by dates, right? So partitioned by dates. And then you can load the data in and only the partitions you want. So... So when you're connecting this locally, it's probably it's running off your local machine. Correct, and but it will when run you deploy off of it. It runs off the capacity. It will run off the. It still runs the capacity, but now I need one capacity to run stuff as opposed to two or more. Right. So if I'm because at this point, we don't care, right? Like there, like prior, we would say the, you know, premium capacity was analysis services. Right, it was the semantic model engine. Yes, and now they've just kind of lumped it all together. Correct. So who knows what other thing, what other, they the capacity itself is spool up the cluster, spool up the whatever, Correct. all the things for the different processes. Yes, but this also I mean, this feature yeah. also opens. So, but right now you're talking about this is a fabric only thing. Yeah. Right. This feature, this very feature, opens up the ability for you to do this in pro and premium per user. You now don't need fabric to read delta tables from other places in your organization. So this, to me, this is another decision point here. I have to figure out why, like what this is doing and how it's changing things because this might, this might let me stay on premium per user for longer without having to go over to Fabric because I can still read the delta tables in their raw form. With partition pruning, this is, this is a big change I think here. I, I don't think people understand how much of how important this is. Well, you Mike. keep digging, Mike, and you build a solution, and I'll get it. I'll, yeah, <laughs> I'll steal it. <laughs> yes, it's not I, stealing; I will... it's just using. <laughs> I, I've been doing it. Yeah. I'm probably going to need to do a blog about this one because it's it's definitely very technical and how to get everything to work uh, so that it pulls all the data together. But it is very slick. I've been able to make shortcuts uh, into other things inside Databricks, and then again, shortcuts in in One Lake is is a different feature and all of itself, but. Um, from desktop, I've been able to successfully connect to other things outside of, um, you know, the fabric ecosystem and make them work. So that that is a very interesting and very intriguing uh, pattern to be able to be using. Uh, Mike, I will keep my predictions to myself here, but the only thing I'll say is you are right here. This this is one of those underlying uh, features. It doesn't seem like a big wow game changer. The lights are spotlighted onto this, and it's like intro, you know, the but what this can do and i think what this is going to evolve into mm -hmm. is going to be an integral part of our workflow in a few years yep uh and just part of there's going to be training around this yes be, exactly you, you, you need your process do you, you know you're using this right this, that's going to be the question yes. this is years. yeah and i think you're right tommy i think this is like a this is an inflection point of I can't remember the world before i didn't have access to delta tables once we turned on delta tables the entire infrastructure, what I do, how I build stuff is now greatly changing. Right. And just by adding this one little feature, this also means if you're building things with Azure Synapse, you don't need Azure Synapse anymore. This this feature alone has killed Azure Synapse in my mind for from a from a pattern of using a pipeline, loading some raw data, manipulating it into tables, and then getting the tables into Power BI. You don't need Synapse now. You can do a lot of this now directly with data, uh, Azure Data Factory, which in my opinion, it's 
The Azure Data Factory is a more robust tool, has more features than the Synapse pipelines. And Azure Data Factory has a lot more has a lot more features than the Fabric uh, pipelines, just because mm-hmm. it's newer. So like, and anyways, it's very yeah. interesting to see how this is kind of like shaping and coming together. And we're seeing that in our article today. Speaking of giving Synapse its its retirement, so yeah, let's do that. Let's okay. And, so this is a good transition. Send Synapse up north, so to speak. Um, <laughs> we we're gonna go send Synapse by the way of the P Bix. <laughs> No, we're not getting rid of P. Is, is it PBIX or is it PBIX? Is it E's or is it an P-Bix. I? I'll stay with paginated. That's what everyone says when they see my hat. I have a hat that has PBIX on it. And they're like, what is that? PBIX? I'm like, actually, that's a PBIX. That's okay. You don't know. But if you know, you know. If you don't, I know you don't know. So one of those things. Let's jump into our article for today. So the article for today is uh, the semantic link. Uh, data validation using great expectations. So, Tommy, I think um, you might want to just start off with just a little bit of, let's talk about what is sem- uh, semantic link. Let's start there first and figure out what that's doing. And then we should talk about this package. And again, this is not a, <laughs> this is funny to me a little bit so, in some ways. Uh, Microsoft is claiming these packages that are kind of open source. Like this is a great expectations as a Python package, which is made by the broader community in Python, and then Microsoft's like, hey, look at this. You can use great expectations on top of all your other stuff. So anyways, uh, with that being said, Tommy, give us an overview of what uh, semantic link is looking like. So semantic link is a feature that actually allows us to connect to semantic models, um, also known, and I love this in the documentation, as the diamond layer. So the medallion approach, I don't know if you caught that. I was like, ooh, I did, I did diamond catch it. layer. I was like, what could this be? Well, I'm only going to build in platinum now. How about that now? Like, it's going to be beyond diamond. When will platinum come out? Yeah, I got very excited about that. So I'm, I'm waiting it, for obsidian. Yeah, I, I, was, I, was, or I was saying, I don't even have a cobblestone layer or like, I know. you know, uh, the jaded moss. I don't have these are things I don't have yet. I, I don't have these layers yet. So I guess this medallion's getting a little wider here, but uh, yes. yeah, I was like, layer. It's the so Minecraft it's, medallion layer. Right. It's, so, you know, bronze, silver, gold, yeah. diamond, obsidian. Right. right. But the semantic link allows us to connect to those semantic models, Power BI data sets, to Synapse data science features, and simply allows you to query in data science applications specifically in Fabric, but can be outside of Fabric, yep. of uh, the semantic model, the tables, the measures, and allows you to do that in a Jupyter notebook, in uh, anywhere notebooks are found. To me, this is one of my, if you were to say the top 10 Fabric features that came out this year, or possibly the top five game-changing, this is one of them. Um, because this allows us with a p- Python package, you said sem- semantic link is also a Python package. Mm-hmm. Uh, allows you to connect to all the parts of your model through a Jupyter Notebook or through Python um, and actually, in a sense, shape it there. Uh, so it's already created. Great expectations now is the other side of the coin. And it's specifically for data scientists and data engineers that actually is kind of, to your point earlier, it meets uh, data meets specific quality standards before it can be used. And we can do a lot with it, ensuring data quality. Now, I do think, Tommy, to your point here, this is definitely a game changer, 100%. I will also echo, this is a notebook Spark level experience. It's you're writing Python, but you're writing Python in notebooks inside um, Fabric. So 
right away you're already at a level of this is like super cody you have to understand kind of what's going on there but what i find is particularly around tools that microsoft develops right they have tools like data flows which are very powerful in their own right but it's a lot of ui it's a lot of clicking it makes it easy for you know average business users to kind of like learn data engineering and start doing data engineering things to me yes in when you write straight code the potential or the possibility of doing things is way higher you have way more opportunity here in this stuff so cool however this is very technical in nature so i will say that so be aware if you're not aware of semantic link the article that we put down below is actually really good um, it does a really good job explaining what this is, but some things I would caution you around is when you're running these notebooks, you're using this thing called a pip install, which is a, a language where you're installing something on the cluster while it runs. So not wrong, not saying you shouldn't do it, but whatever version of Spark Microsoft is running, Semantic Link and Grid Expectations, these are packages that are outside of the Microsoft ecosystem and you have to install them on your clusters so they can run. So um, there's actually a whole bunch of other things you can do as well, where you can like pip install things or have packages available before you turn on the cluster and you can set up, you know, spark settings and all kinds of other cool stuff too. So there's, this yeah. is very cool. I really like it, but it can get really technical very quick. I just want to put a, like a disclaimer yeah. on this, yeah. on, on this topic. At the, so if far. you have someone who's already has this, guess what? Mike, we haven't, there's a whole other podcast we do just around Python now with Power BI, but oh, totally. you can actually set up environments in your workspace. So you can have it pre-installed too, yep. but no, and this is a bit, that's a good point, Mike, because again, we've always been focused Power BI and data modeling DAX and kind of this one lane of yeah. business intelligence. And when you download desktop, you get it all. Like it's like one thing, one installer, like right. I get one file, like boom, you have everything you need there with the exception of any right. external tools you want to go add. Right. Mm -hmm. So Traditionally, everything is very simple, but right. this is just a more technical piece of this. Right. Um, I find it interesting. Well, let me. I'll back up uh, just a sec, just talking about this, because if you're one of those people who has always just been in the BI space and your DAX, your data model, your Power Query, and should you expand to Python? We have an episode around that in terms of learning that skill. Uh, please check it out. So I just want to kind of reference that in terms of kind of like, yeah. who are you listening to this? Just because you may not know this doesn't mean you can't. Correct. A few things here with focusing on this great expectation side of things, because I believe we've, we've talked about semantic model a lot. Um, well, there's I a big wanted, part. Yeah. Before we, before we weigh in that one there, sure. I'd be curious, Seth, your opinions on, what you've seen or have you had chance to play with semantic link i'm just kind of curious if if you feel what use cases do you observe potentially around being able to directly hit the data model or the xml endpoint using a semantic link type thing it's a good question um i think i'm confused especially as it relates to the data quality conversation um and i would i would ask the audience or you do enlighten me right like the the way where, where i'm i'm having a hard time peeling myself out is there's a the data quality confirmation aspect of like okay i have i have a model i want to ensure that you know as data is connected to it on a daily basis it's checking all the balances it's you know etc but 
like this article does it semantic link model does it like we're it seems we're mixing pre-model work conversations in with what should be the final product and that's what i don't get this is this is why i wanted your opinion on this whole thing so let me let me step back just for some semantic link things another couple comments here before we move on to i think where you're going with this Seth, which i think which i agree with one area here is I think semantic link allows you to interrogate the model by using evaluate statements, basically writing a DAX statement that runs against the model. One use case I could see here is this is a, this enables you to use the DMVs of the XMLA endpoint. So if you want to document all the measures that are in your model, if you want to document the size or anything that's related in the dynamic management views, DMVs, I think that's what that means, um, you get data out. So for one, you can actually extract all the relationships inside your model. And there's actually another article from Microsoft talking about using um, semantic link in Microsoft, bringing BI and data science together. And they're actually talking in this article where they're actually grabbing information from the model and they're able to provide, um, what is it called here? They're calling it a, um, like it's, it's almost like a, a, a diagram, finding the dependencies of information. And you can literally diagram out the dependencies inside your model of, of what's building what. And that can come out of your models. So anyways, I just want to make that point first. Let's go back to your comment, Seth, around, you know, data quality and where this makes sense. My understanding, again, I haven't dug in too far with great expectations. In this example that Microsoft provides, they write, they use the semantic link to go access a table of data. I'm going to go grab time and something else, total units ratio. And then it produces a divide statement and, re and basically returns a table of information. Here's time. Here's all my ratios. In there, they're able to use the great expectations. And inside great, great expectations, you're able to say, for this column, we expect the data range to be a number and between this minimum value and this maximum value. So it, it sounds to me like this is a data test, a test of data that you can apply to a process so where you use this if this is happening in dev test maybe in production workloads or happening before you publish things i think this is a great portion of that so that's so that's i think it's more of a data quality checking thing uh is this how i see it right now okay I, that 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 was the keyword right i have a i have a test model right like i have a version that i'm going to apply changes to or Hmm. Hypothetically, so, like, so I, I guess my point though is here, even if I have a, a test model, are you running the same volumes through your, your test models that you are your production one? This is, this is going to be, uh, this I think will be the question, right? How, like, so, because so I, I like your point, I like your point, yep. which is, okay, I'm in a test realm. I'm making changes. I'm, I'm doing data validation. This is... <laughs> But this is still like where, um, just in far as far as like quality is concerned, mm -hmm. I'm going to ensure that whatever my change from a data perspective is yes. valid, even though a lot of what we're doing is validating code changes. Correct. You're validating data. That's fine. Yep. This is data ops to some degree. But I also John I, Kersky's, you know, baby here. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not familiar, nor do I in most cases push the same volumes or the same exact data sets through my model. Okay. So like, this is where 
Yes. That's why I have data quality pipelines that are part of the production workload because that's where you're validating your data and your like the expectation thing looks super cool. Yes. Right. But I, I like I'm not putting that on my final product. I'm doing that before I produce my final product. I think, yes and no. Yes and no. And 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 I'm only I'm going to no, yes for me maybe okay. no for you. <laughs> <laughs> There's a different use case here besides exactly what's in the document itself, which I can identify that I wish I had this years ago. What has been the biggest issue when we've tried to find solutions around for for Power BI data sets back in the day? I if by the way, if it you're referring to a data set five years ago, is that still a semantic link? I don't know. Another conversation for another day. But, so <laughs> it's but, always been a semantic link, Tommy. It's always, okay, it's always it's been always that way. Been, so fine. <laughs> so, um, of input of data, data quality checks tried multiple ways to create data quality dashboards yes. uh, around user input in CRM systems or how people are inputting data. Are people inputting the right information? Where are we missing blank values? That's been a struggle to try to do that with an already created model in Power BI, not just the tables, but on my already created model, my relationships. Where are the dims missing in my facts other way around? Yep. So this still matches here obviously it's not the same exact workflow that you both are referring to but this still checks out in terms of something that i know organizations are looking for like where are our blanks in our dims are we do we have all the keys are people inputting the data the way they should be this can allow me this can allow organizations to do so because i think there are enterprise workflows around data quality and there's mid-sized workflow around data quality here on just what are the quick not, I don't want to say quick fixes, but what are those items going on in our business that we know people are not inputting or updating statuses the right way? That's been, I don't want to say impossible, but nearly impossible to do with already created model because it lived, the endpoint was the model. And, and now we have with semantic link, I can create a data frame. I can create uh, access to that semantic model in a data frame. I can use G, uh, great expectations or other libraries to do so. That's to me where the strong value is. So I'm not saying the yes and no to your point, Seth, but this is a wider scope of data quality than what's outlined here. So I love your point, Tommy, and I, I would 100% agree with this in a production environment. Or uh, let me let me paint some pictures here because I yeah. think what Seth's struggling with is a slightly different use case around where we're testing data quality. Versus where I think you're speaking to, Tommy, is your data quality is something slightly different. So um, I believe there's two places we come from here. If we think about I'm working only in production or I'm talking about production only, Tommy, what you're saying, I think sounds 100% true, right? I have made semantic models in the past. They have been published. I don't have any way of really vetting the data other than going into a report and trying to make all the tables that I care about inside that report. To me, there there could be, and there there should be in some cases. If let's think about it this way, there is in different organizations you'll have dev, test, and production. There's three things you need a version when you're talking about three different environments when it comes to the data warehousing of things. The three things are you need a version of the infrastructure code, which is handled by deployment pipelines. I can literally move the artifacts between different things, like move a lake house from dev to test. Then there's the second layer of doing the engineering code, right? So the engineering code is the pipeline, 
the notebooks, anything that's creating tables of data, that's the engineering code that's used to generate the data. And then there's the version of the data itself. Okay, so here's, here's where things I think get tricky. If you have dev, test, and prod things, and the source of data is always prod, right? So the source of where I'm pulling data from is production, and I'm building a test, a dev version of a model and report, and then I'm moving over to test, and I'm still pointing to prod, but I'm just pulling down information there. Not uncommon. Not uncommon. It happens. But I would say in, in larger organizations, as the organization increases in size, what you find is the dev environment points yeah. to the dev server because, and this is where it gets cost effective, is I don't want to take a hard copy yeah. of all data from production and move all production data into the development server just to solve a small problem with that issue. 100%. Well, and, and in, in, in many organizations, like those are completely different data sets. So, yeah, like there's, they're scrubbed, they're clean, there's, yep, like, doesn't there's even match. Reason, yes. Yeah, like none of the, like those environments yes. are not just your versions of your report. The entire data set is completely different. And so, so the this is the challenge what we're talking about. Right, because yes. the, the volumes that we're playing with nowadays right like in your production system hmm? are costly you're yes. not going to just run unless you absolutely have to yes. run those same volumes in a test environment agreed so so and with that though so let's let's keep going down this path here right so if your dev test prod environments all point to a version of prod or the actual things that is prod then yes great expectations can work all the way through you can test your data quality and test right before you get to production However, that's usually not the case as data sets grow in size. And so this was where things become much more challenging. And I would argue here, the patterns should be, should be the same. So a semantic link as far as doing data quality things, uh, there's no reason why you can't deploy a change into test and have a... Um, there's no way you can't deploy to test and have like a version of, of a pattern around how the data is is being built right so you you know like for example let me say that let me give you a clear example i'm going to take february of 2022 i'm going to make sure in all my environments i have at least a representative copy of data from february 2022 that way when i make changes to measures i should be able to test the data and run semantic link and grid expectations against that data and say okay if i group this data by these categories i should have this output of information and that is where great expectation comes in for a checking of the data. Also, you can also look, use great expectations inside your production environment where you are going to have data drift. People will enter data incorrectly into your source systems and it will make its way into your reporting. So you can also apply expectations when you refresh your data set. Right behind that, you can run great expectations again to verify do these numbers make sense? Did we miss a lot of information? Did something drastically change? And that way the deep, the BI team knows this stuff is happening before the business finds out. So, so in this case, I think, so let me ask this clarifying question. Um, from what you're reading and looking at this, yep. can great expectations, and I think I'm reading it, hang on. It can read measures. Yeah. Yes. You can, yeah. you can yeah. literally, okay. it's use it's, so, but that's throw, a semantic link though. So okay. Semant okay. semantic link, <laughs> because semantic link is allowing you to run DAX yeah. evaluate statements okay. against the model yeah. 
and then yep. you can get out from it everything you need, and, and then that becomes a data frame, and then you can run the game. That's what changes this entire conversation for me. Like, and I just didn't, I wasn't cataloging that. And the reason is, is like that's one of my biggest black, anybody's biggest black hole. We we can have as mm -hmm. many data quality measures as we pot, like data quality points, checking values going into our our models. But one of the biggest pain points is, did something change or shift? Like you may have a value. Yes. Yes. Did did the value like did somebody introduce a new value and it no longer works within the measures? Yes. Right. So th if if this is saying, hey, we now have a way to um, quality check the the final product all the time for our end customers and get out ahead of any of the changes because we know a ton of development yes. has gone into the model that is just kind of in that black hole space like nobody's doing validation on that no no way customer, where yes. the visual all of a sudden isn't working so now this is starting to make a lot more sense to me because if that's plugging into the entirety of the semantic model yes instead of just the tables that put up or like make up the semantic model then then yeah i see a lot of value here and i and i think the the neat the you know another example of this would be finance departments finance departments are going to produce a model they're going to spit out a bunch of information but that thing needs to be checked and tested six different ways from Sunday. Like it just has to be tested a ton. All the numbers have to match up. You can't lose numbers. And I think great expectations is a good way of running tests against your data set. So you could run a model for them in finance that the entire model in test is grabbing everything you need before you roll it over to production. But, Mike, uh, a, a big ahead. point, to, I was going to say, you mentioned that you can run DAX. But really, the other big part of the semantic link is you don't have to. And I, I we can put this in the parking lot, but this kind of goes in the data science. I can create a data frame off of measures, columns, and tables already in the semantic model. And I only reference the data science because it's mentioned three times in the first two paragraphs. Um, yeah, I think they're pushing the data science story way too hard at this point. I don't okay. I don't see a lot of data scientists just clamoring to get into fabric. At this I'm point. ready to roll there. We can put that in the parking lot, but I'm ready to roll there. If especially that the article like the fact that they're trying to push it. Again, you want to put that in the parking lot, we can reference that, but I'm ready to riggedy roll with that and talk about that. I see maybe is maybe the fact is I see less uh, data science is is a good thing to be able to be capable of doing so one thing i will point out you're not doing data science on, on sql servers so if you're an organization that has a whole bunch of sql servers laying around and that's where your data lives you're not ready for data science period end of story so you're going to need some tooling it doesn't matter what it is but you're going to need some tooling that at least enables you to do predictive data science type things on top of your data spark is is likely that candidate that compute engine that you need the notebooks expose this to you so for one microsoft is at least allowing you the ability or having giving you the capability to do data science stuff inside uh, fabric what i'd like to see more is i'd like to see more of the azure ml studio experience coming towards the power bi experience so that way you feel more like it it needs to be better it needs it gets better but if you're doing Databricks, if you're doing Fabric now, these two tools are two tools that incorporate machine learning. If you are a Snowflake user, Snowflake has no plans on their roadmap to build anything about data science. There is no ML. There is no, there's no, there's nothing in their roadmap that's going to build that experience for you. So if you have that tool, you bought the wrong tool, it's not going to help you get to the next step. 
the the I don't want to say I'm arguing with you here. Or I would argue with your statement. Uh, but the only thing with the Azure machine learning, which is a, a great platform, yep. but I think they're pushing the data science because the semantic link, the semantic link library is really finally, finally the bridge between what a lot of data scientists are clamoring to do with a cleaned up model and what's available in Power BI. That's never been before possible. And please tell me a better way that that could be done. Because right now, if I can create a data frame, choose selectively choose the tables and refined model that is my diamond layer apparently um and i can now connect it to that power bi the model is now just part of the road it's not the end stop it's not the final destination that's huge man like that this is incredible for data scientists where 80 percent of their time they're cleaning data yeah uh, not disagreeing with you in any way there I'm not sure data ready for reporting is really in the right format for what data scientists need. My understanding is data scientists typically will like wider flattened out tables. Data scientists don't typically prefer star schemas of data. So while this is cool, to me, it's more of like a, this is a nice to have feature, but I don't think this is a, um, oh, wow, we need to have this off the shelf for our data scientists. So I'm not sure if I'm there yet. I, I'd have to see some more use cases and maybe talk some more directly to some more data scientists. Sure. Because in my, my in my opinion, many data scientists that I work with, they're very comfortable working only in Python with whatever they need. And so they're going to go to the rawest form of data, look at that information, and from there, they're going to want to build what they want. They're not going to want a super cleaned model like a star schema or what we've built in these data models because now the data scientist needs to understand the relationships of the data in the semantic model in order to pull stuff out so they can use it. And you're right. So I just feel like there's an, I feel like the semantic model is designed for reporting. It's there's, there's aspects of data science that are not going to be there that they would want. And they're going to, they're going to go back to a silver layer of data and start there. Is what I would it, is my feeling. You're right about the flat table, the denormalize. That's what they want to work, and they want to work in a single data frame. The only point I'll say is that's what the semantic link actually allows. I can actually pull the semantic model and, in a sense, denormalize with measures, choose the columns, and add make a single data frame. I agree. Which you're also you're also adding in all the business logic yeah, to get you to there. Lot. Yeah, and I'm not sure. And I'm not sure if you're if you're talking pure data scientist. Sometimes you need, as a data scientist, you want to peel back those business rules, and you need to say, I don't need the business rules. Just show me the data because there's likely insights that are coming out of that data that's not cleaned by already those pre pre designed business rules to just straighten out the data. So, you know what I I'm not going to have a strong opinion on either one of them. Okay, I'm not sure I see the use case as strongly as you do yet. Okay, maybe I can be convinced. We'll keep, I'm sure we're going to keep seeing more blogs around this, but it's, it's interesting that they do push both how much on the data scientist side in the beginning of this article. And one of the quotes again is semantic link can align and grow collaboration between data scientists and business analysts. So that's a huge push, at least in, uh, from what Microsoft is trying to how, do. How, how much, I mean, we're, we're BI developers, like it's, it's the bread and butter. You do a lot of, you play a different, a lot of different roles. Yeah. One of the things that is, I, I guess, I don't know, concerning or 
doesn't make sense to me is like the the third paragraph where there's such a heavy emphasis of the data scientist playing the mm -hmm. role of validating, cleaning, and transforming raw yeah. data. Real, like data scientists shouldn't be spending tons of their time on data. Quality. Oh, is it just like, using that persona? Yes, and that's the wrong that's the wrong role for that. If you want the data engineer. Like right, I like your even your from a cost perspective. You know, you know things. I want you working in models. Like I want you to like. I want you out of ETL as fast as possible. Yes, but I, I guess the other concerning part I have with this is like, if in projects that I've worked on with data scientists, um, there there are two main parts that required a lot of emphasis for end customers. The first of those being dumbing down the output <laughs> to something that people understand all of the statistical algorithms and, and models and all the things that you're running data through to produce an outcome. So in some, in some respects, if you're doing an enhancement on the exact same data sets in a model, I could see that, that this would be valuable. But the second part of this that I guess while I'm excited about the data quality aspects, raises a level of like, would data scientists even want to use this? Is the rigor and um, hardening around understanding and ensuring that the data outputs are exactly what they would expect, especially yes. as you're especially yeah. as you're productionizing something, mm -hmm. and I. I don't like I've never thought of measures as like, like that. So like and maybe it it should be, right? Like, but it's are we taking a model which is designed for reporting and misusing it for for a data a structured that's, data set that goes into a model? That's that's my point. That's my point. I I feel like we're we're taking something that has been designed for a very specific purpose. And there will probably be some advantages for pulling that. But I mean, again, I, if you're a data scientist on this call and you're on the chat here, let us know. Like, let us know. Do, does this make sense to you? Do you do data science -y things? Would this be a good place to start? Now, to, to your point, though, Seth, if I'm a business user or I'm a data engineer already and I'm looking to try to explore some predictive things, I would be more apt to use this because I already understand the data. I understand the model. I understand the data engineering that got me to here. Some lightweight predictive things probably would make sense here, but yeah, I'm not going to say yeah, a data scientist you know, full fledged yeah, is going to love this. Right. The other, the other part of this mm. though is like, yeah, let, let's say you're, you start leveraging this. Aren't, aren't you putting this back into the realm of, of not, like potentially not being able to support the business as quickly as you would need to, because our our concern what do you with mean the model, by that statement? I don't know if I follow. I'm I'm designing a model that supports a bunch of business reports. Yes, as as people want, as the business evolves, as they want new things. Yep, yep. That model needs to change. Oh, and then you would I'm break this thing that the data science guy right. made. I'm I'm modifying that model for business needs because it's a model designed for reporting. Oh, interesting. I would mm. be terrified to deploy a change if I knew one of our models was was using this as a source of information. Like how much more testing would I need to do to validate that oh. whatever I push out for yes. the business 
doesn't absolutely screw something up, which which like hundred percent, dude. Data science and models and the hundred percent. Well, like, this is why great expectations on this. Yeah, it full circle. <laughs> <laughs> but so a hundred percent right with exactly your point, Seth. Like hundred percent agree with you. Like I think the great expectations portion of the synaptic 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 semantic. I don't know why I put another extra n or a couple letters in there. Synaptic. <laughs> semantic i have to look at the word literally to say it correctly but i think you're right seth 100 percent. anytime you pick that model the more people you throw at that model the more people that are going to expect it to be built a certain way is going to slow down your need to like can i make a change if i'm changing sure. the logic on a measure sure. that could impact a lot of downstream things and you've got to be very clear what that means and when you do this is where the data ops comes in yeah. so i so that's I great. think the use case for great expectations is much better than the data science experience. I think that's just a much more robust, like we're going to produce tests on top of this data in these different environments, and we're going to review them, and it will tell us when we're out of scope on those data criteria. So a few fun stats, and I, I think the, the, the misunderstanding here, I think between us and the article is, in the article, there's 12 paragraphs, and data science, data science is mentioned 10 times. And the majority of that's all in the beginning. And I think it needs to be data science parentheses diet. This is not the machine learning studio. This is a data scientist utilizing Python packages. A lot of what I hear from data scientists around the predictive side uh, of correlation side, that can all be done with Python packages. It does not rely on machine learning studio. I'm not saying that's the best solution, but I think that's what Microsoft's referring to here when it comes to data science is, can we do some quick predictive side? Power, we know Power BI is not the best from a predictive point of view. There are DAX uh, uh, you know, uh, measures to do that. There's a lot of workarounds, but that was never Power BI's intention was the predictive or the correlation side. You know what they used for that? Custom visuals made an R. That was the only way to do forecasting or... And now Python, yeah. And and Python. So this has always been something that's not been in the realm of Power BI, the basic data science. But even thinking about the data flow for just a moment here, right? I I do data engineering. I go dev test prod. I make a model. The, the model's in production, right? Data scientist shows up. He uses that model to do some predictive things. Where do you put the output of that data scientist's work? And how do you incorporate that back into what you're doing? You don't want a round robin. Like it, it's not to me. It doesn't oh. seem efficient to go take yeah. data out of a data set or semantic model, have the data scientist work on it. Well, then what does he do with it? Where does he put it? Do you build another report and another semantic model that does the machine learning, the predictive pieces, or do you then go write it back down to a source system so it can get get picked back up again and put back in the model? So, to me, the system even even thinking about the flow of data doesn't okay. make sense to me. Like I would rather say. Go to the tables that are made in my lake house, do the work there, produce your predictive things, and then all of my normal reporting and all of the predictive things can get joined together and then turned into the model. Because if you're going to do predictions, you're going to want to put that right with your regular business data anyways. It just makes no sense to bring all that information to another semantic model or another place where you're doing predictions. I think you're going to want that in your main models. And the argument here, I, I just don't, I'm not following Tommy. Like one, all the three paragraphs describe that this isn't just ad hoc, right? 
analysis. Like two, the 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 harder the harder play is, you know, as a data scientist, we want to plug into the semantic model because all the business logic is there. And I would argue that that goes into our conversation where we want to push that back as far as possible. The like before I'm pulling into like I don't like building tons of business logic only in my semantic model for this very reason. It's uh, not repeatable. I can't yes. reuse it. Yes. So the the artifacts that I'm building related to enterprise efforts, which this is, this is not a business person's model, right? In enterprise realm, like all my business logic is in the facts and dimensions I'm building already. Those are artifacts you can plug into without going to the model. Right. Right. So like I I get the I now understand and I appreciate the data quality aspects of this. Yes. But I'm still struggling with like like using the semantic link as a source for data science work in general um, because of what we're talking about. Like it's like, yeah. And I think my final thought here is I think the heart of this is to me, the concept of what Microsoft's foreseeing for the semantic model again. Mm -hmm. And they want this to be, if you had a Sankey diagram, um, for the Power BI Classic, 100% was data set, semantic model to report. Yep. Uh, and now yep. I think we're seeing these other arrows, these other bridges or um, these other um, uh, links to other avenues like the data science part. That's where they're pushing. Are they there yet? No. But the semantic model is now having other avenues no longer being the end destination. So the heart of this to me is the concept of mm. what a semantic model was Power BI Classic, as which I love that by the way, the term Mike, but and now Power BI Modern and what the semantic link's going to be or the semantic model is going to be. So that's really my final thought. What what we're seeing this evolution of? I will always be Power BI Classic. Seth, any, <laughs> any final any, any final thoughts, Seth, for you? Any, I think on, ultimately, on... it'll be really interesting to see where this goes. Um, two two kind of things: if semantic link and the artifacts that we can plug into now include measures, yeah. right? And yeah. and we can stabilize on those and like use them outside the realm of like what we would normally have done with just reporting. Interesting and cool. Still have some questions about like the the, the quality and making sure that those stay static. I, I mm-hmm. think the thing that I'm most concerned about in in aspects of this where to Tommy's point, we're now going to sand key and, and break out a semantic model for its uses is um, are we repeating history? If you keep throwing things onto and build these monolithic giant things like warehouses, um, you're going to slow things down for the business. And if business needs to change and adapt and implement things, and this is what we've been building models for either wider adoption and usage throughout an organization. Maybe there are certain use cases where it's the model that everybody uses and this is where you would plug that in. That's maybe 5%. Um, like the the challenge would be is I, I wouldn't want to keep building on something that I can't change or would require months of testing before we can get back to the business. And that would be my only concern. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to probably say, um, I think this whole article around Samantha, uh, semantic link is very good i think this is very helpful for us again i have not resonated with the data scientist experience that microsoft has been providing through fabric yet i don't see the value of it currently i think data scientists have their own tools that they're happy using and they'll continue to use those tools until fabric catches up now all this to say microsoft will probably do a better job in the future 
Um, I feel like everything we talk about data scientists in the fabric realm is data scientists light. You know, it's like the business users, the data engineers who are just starting to move into data scientist realms. This makes sense. But I don't think you're going to throw a full data scientist at this and, and be extremely happy with what's going on here. So I, I do think the value of uh, Semantic Link is data quality, looking at DMVs and getting data and diagnostics out of your models. If you can, if you can start tracking how your this don't underestimate the, the power of the DMVs that gets data out of it. You can go look at the heat of the quality of columns or the heat of each column by how much it's used. Wouldn't you like to know how many times, like which columns in your data model are used most often over time? Wouldn't that make sense? This, this DMV area allows you to extract that information and you could trend your data, your, your model over time, column by column, looking at which columns are used the most. This could provide you a really interesting heat map of which columns are most important. And I believe some people have already blogged about it. I can't put my finger on the blog right now, but I think that is worth, the, the, just that alone is worth investigating this feature to understand exactly how your model is being used. So, I wish this was a classroom and just seeing you two in the back. Like, I, I have a question. Oh, boy. Oh, I, man. Yeah. Oh, if I, I would pay to be in that class. <laughs> well, you know, I think you'd be, oh, Mike and Seth are talking oh again. Put your just hand down. Know it all. They just know it all. Just shut up already. <laughs> I have a problem with your formula. <laughs> yes, exactly. Exactly. Anyways, we're allowed to have opinion, opinions. Uh, luckily, no one listens to the podcast, so we're all good there. Anyways. Uh, <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to the podcast. For those of you who stuck around for the whole thing, we really appreciate your, your listenership. Um, so thank you so much for listening to this. We really do ask if you found some value from this, if you learned a little bit more about uh, Semantic Link, where it might fit inside the ecosystem of Power BI, we really appreciate you sharing it with somebody else. Let somebody else know on social media. At your holiday party, go ahead and let them know you found this amazing data podcast. It's so good. We'd love it if you would share that as well. Uh, and let people know that you you found some value from it. With that, Tommy, where else can you find the podcast? Yeah, and this is our last podcast before Christmas. So Merry Christmas. What a better gift to give than a free podcast. A and free semantic tell, link. And you can tell them. You can find us on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast. Make sure to subscribe and leave a rating. It's a great Christmas gift for us. Helps us out a ton. If you have a question, <laughs> idea, or topic that you want us to talk about in a future episode, Head over to powerbi.tips slash podcast. Leave your name and a great question. Finally, join us live every Tuesday, Thursday, 7.30 a.m. Central, and join the conversation on all of Power BI Tips social media channels. This is our 104th gift to you this year. Ah. We've been doing so many podcasts twice a week for the whole year. So um, we hope you've enjoyed our free gift of Random knowledge that doesn't really help you in your daily business job. Chatter. <laughs> Mind-numbing chatter. <laughs> so we hope you've enjoyed that as well. Thank you all so much. There will be two more episodes coming up. They will be pre-recorded. So just FYI about that. They're coming out. They'll still be here. So there's a couple more episodes coming right after the end of this year. So we appreciate you all as listeners. Uh, and we look forward to um, starting 2024 with you when we see you again. Thank you all very much. We'll see you next time. <laughs>